hello, and thank you for being a member of the History of World War II podcast. Episode 23, The Gloves Come Off. Last time, we left off with Hitler giving a speech at the end of the Nuremberg Party Rally that finally, openly declared Jews as non-deserving of German citizenship. They had no rights, they could not raise the German flag, and were warned that these two laws were only the beginning. Because as harsh as the Law for the Protection of German Blood and the Reich Citizenship Laws were, Der Fuhrer made it clear several times in his 12-minute speech that, quote, The law is only an attempt at legal regulation. However, should this not work, should Jewish agitation within and without Germany continue, we will then examine the situation again, unquote. Minutes later, Hitler was more direct in his language. Quote, if it fails, meaning the two laws, it must be turned over to the Nazi party for final solution. Unquote. Again, to his mind, this situation of Germany finding itself having the world align against it was of Jewish making. The man really believed that his forces were the underdogs, that they were doing all they could to survive this apparently global battle. And what of the Jewish influence outside of Germany? Were the Jews outside the Third Reich really supposed to change their ways based on what was happening to their German, excuse me, their former German brethren? No, not really. It was just a setup to be his excuse to continue the persecution of the Jews once the Nazis extended their influence, if not outright control, of other parts of Europe. But the world, in general, was not fooled. Reactions were based on Nazi actions not words or propaganda. Major newspapers all over the world printed sections of Hitler's speech and surmised that the light was going out in Central Europe. The League of Nations High Commissioner for Refugees coming from Germany, yes, that was his title, stated that Jews were being persecuted by looking into their past bloodlines. It was clear they were not being harassed because of something they did, but because of who they were. Ironically, even though the commissioner used the word tabulating in his report, describing how efficient the Nazis were being, he nor the majority of the world knew or ever figured out that Hollerith Machines, IBM technology, was making the manhunt surgically precise. Indeed, as the hunt for the Jews went on, it became more efficient and effective. Now, the Jews in smaller or rural areas were coming under more pressure, because by now, their counterparts within the larger cities had already fled, been placed into a camp, or did their best to disappear from everyone's view. Now, it was the Jews in the smaller towns to be identified, proscribed, no longer allowed to work, own a business, receive medical assistance, or food supplies. Nazi or SS thugs were now stationed outside their shops or homes, ready to convince them to leave, now and without the majority of their possessions. And through emigration, capture, or hiding, by 1935, many towns were able to post signs proudly declaring their Jewish-free status. And to be kept that way, the bottom of the sign normally read that Jews were not allowed to enter town limits or owned land from here on out. A celebration was held when the last Jewish family left. 
normally, with a swastika flag being draped over their home. But now, as success in ridding Nazi Germany of the Jew was becoming a reality, as the Jews were leaving in haste, a more organized approach was needed in dealing with their left-behind assets, like homes, businesses, clothes, furniture, cars, anything and everything else that had not been carried away by hand or wagon. But as for those that had not yet left, their plight only became more perilous. Jewish families, or those Jews of means, were approached by Nazis with the authority, and their passports were invalidated or taken away. The only way they could get them back was to pay a tax that equal to 25% of all of their holdings. So, it was a two-step penalty. First, they had to pay to maintain their passports, and then they were encouraged to sell what they could not take with them once they got their passports back, for a fraction of its value. But this is Germany after all. A codified system was needed, even for this darkest of purpose. In August of 1935, a law was passed that banks and other financial institutions had to turn over information about their depositors. This led Dehomag, after working closely with Nazi personnel in the financial field, to build the best and most recent tabulating system for focusing in on the Jews. These machines were then offered, with service included, to the various institutions. Dehomag's service was relatively cheap, but more importantly, it would speed up the institution's ability to comply with this new, most important Nazi regulation. The following month, September of 1935, saw a report in the New York Times that read, quote, Nazis plan to buy out all Jewish firms, stress bargains resulting from the boycott, unquote. In other words, the leaders of Nazi Germany were unabashedly proclaiming that real Germans, Aryans, could find themselves owners of a former Jewish business for very little money. And the hunt for the Jews continued. Around that same time, new laws made it mandatory that all births with the religion of both parents recorded be sent to Hollerith-supported agencies. Marriages were treated the same way. Still, the noose tightened further. Any business that was owned by a Jew, had a Jew as a partner, had a Jew on the board, had a quarter of its stock owned by Jews, or was controlled by a Jew, was considered a Jewish business and suffered accordingly. Even if an Aryan business was run by a Jew, that branch was considered Jewish-run and became a target. And one can't help but think, even at this point in history, as Germany could now build their own machines, Watson could have pulled back and made things very hard for the Nazis to process the information they had gathered by force or by immoral decrees. But that never happened. The money coming into Dehomag only grew, and Watson, as the largest stockholder, acquired more wealth. To celebrate Dehomag's success and its 25th anniversary, Watson flew to Germany in November of 1935. Anyone who was anyone attended the party at the Hotel Adlon. Toasts were made, the tables groaned with the weight of food, and Watson made a big announcement. Tons of new machinery was coming from New York. Millions of more punch cards were also en route across the Atlantic. New branch offices were being opened throughout the Reich. The brand new factory at Lichterfeld was being enlarged, and a new factory to make spare parts 
was to be built. Jobs would be plentiful, and this during the Great Depression. Ironically, after all this, Watson had his own Jew experience. Trying to help his people gather information to better assist their Nazi customers, Watson wanted to speak to a Dr. Fells, who had worked at the Reich Statistical Office during the 1933 census. It was then that Watson learned that the man had been fired for being a Jew. Still, Watson was not used to being stymied, and he wanted the information from the man, if only to improve the next census in Germany. The IBM head then found out that Dr. Fells had moved to New York, but was still unemployed. When he returned to New York, Watson looked the man up, set up a meeting, and picked his brain for the information he needed, and then promised to look around and help the destitute man find employment. One wonders, couldn't the head of one of the largest corporations in the United States have hired him or used his influence to obtain employment in compensation? But it never happened. Still, now that Watson had what he needed, special training schools were set up in Endicott, New York, to train their European salesmen in dealing with bureaucrats throughout Europe. The salesmen were to improve upon explaining what Holler technology could do for them. Of course, those salesmen had to be careful when offering up examples of what their tabulating machines had done in countries it was already serving. 1935 was also special for Dehomag for another reason. That was the year that the German-based company could produce its own punch cards, which meant that in eight hours of work, about 65,000 cards could be produced. However, that was far short of what the Nazi government needed, especially with so many bureaucracies and private businesses encouraged to use Holler technology. Within two years, 59 more card printers would be assembled within the Nazi state. Of course, all this meant that Dehomag, but what's more, IBM, was making a fortune from its business dealings with Germany. In early 1934, Watson told the stockholders that December of 1933 was the largest December in history. And January 1934 was also the largest January in history. And the headman predicted this trend to continue due to, quote, trade abroad is improving, unquote. To be sure, profits were even larger than being stated. But Watson had his accountants shuffling money around between agencies to minimize pure profits. And quite simply, Watson had to do something with all this money. So the following is a partial list of things undertaken. IBM would build a new building at 32nd Street and 5th Avenue in New York. The company would purchase a $1,000 life insurance policy for all 6,900 employees that had been with the company since 1933, when the good times had started. The Endicott plant would be enlarged, and something that everyone would love to hear today, a 37% minimum wage increase for 7,000 of its employees. Shortly thereafter, there was one more announcement. IBM would build a second building at 57th and Madison Avenue in New York. But as good as things were for Watson and IBM, they were about to get much better, if a bit rockier. In mid-1935, the U.S. government, in trying to deal with the effects of the Depression, would make real the Social Security Act recently passed. The bureaucracy was being constructed, but few believed it would ever work. 
How could one manage a centralized filing system for almost 30 million citizens? But the core issue, the real problem that held up the works was, the new government plan needed the ability to compare two sets of information at the same time and then make a decision based on whether those two items matched or not. And all this on a massive scale. In 1935, this was seen as simply impossible. But the truth was, IBM via Dehamag had already worked out such a system. IBM told the U.S. government of its new machine, the Collator, and this heretofore unknown device could do that very function. It is not public knowledge if the Collator was invented in the U.S., Nazi Germany, or due to a pooling of knowledge from both. But shortly after, the U.S. government awarded IBM a staggering contract to tabulate for the Social Security Act. But not missing any opportunities, that very machine, with its abilities, was soon being used in Nazi Germany. And the plan there was to build or ship over 50,000 more. But the good times were not over. IBM was then awarded contracts with the Department of Labor and the War Department which meant the company was, in some ways, being folded into aspects of the federal government. At the same time, Dehamag was using the very same technology to impress the government in Berlin to the point where, in some ways, it too was becoming an appendage of the Nazi party. Essentially, the left hand did not know what the right hand was doing, but Watson knew it all. The result, Hollerith technology improved by leaps and bounds as its research was being supported by U.S. and German taxpayers. And all this money, this pure profit, meant a continuing of the battle between Watson and Heidinger. By the end of 1934, Watson was trying to figure out how to hide Dehelmog's 1.2 million Reichsmark profit. In the end, he decided that the company would simply hide this money and declare a deficit and then make up for it in sales in 1935. But Heidinger wanted the profit to show so he could earn his bonus. Battle ensued, but then Heidinger, atypically, offered up a compromise. He would declare the loss if still given his bonus. Yeah, not much of a compromise, but it was agreed to. The accountants and lawyers of IBM worked very hard, but eventually came up with the phraseology in a contract explaining why a bonus would be given even during a loss. And after a few sleepless nights, the German tax authorities were appeased. Meanwhile, Watson was also battling his good friends in Berlin. The Nazi government was making it harder and harder as decree after decree came out to take money out of Nazi Germany. So, doing what he did in New York, Watson would do in Germany. He would use Dehelmach profits to build parts and other things New York needed and then ship them across the Atlantic. But Berlin quickly caught on to this and outlawed that. Watson was learning, just like the rest of the world was, that there was a new normal in Nazi Germany. And the highest authority was the head of the Nazi party, not the Hague, not the League of Nations. As items could no longer be shipped to New York, Watson had IBM's auditor, Price Waterhouse, make investment recommendations. Price recommended, but Watson decided. Soon, vast numbers of apartment buildings were owned by IBM, 
through De Homag, of course. And, in some ways, it wasn't until June of 1936 that Watson and Heidinger worked out a permanent bonus structure that pleased, or at least satisfied, each man, which left them to focus on the essentials, to increase business for each respective company, and to make as much money as possible. Which translated into the Jews of Germany reeling from the whirlwind of information the Nazi officials had about them. In September of 1936, a new decree was passed that demanded all Jews deposit into an account the equivalent of 25% of their net worth. The Nazi officials who came to the door of a Jewish home or business knew everything about the victim and were quite clear in that this law's attendant effect was to ruin all Jews in business for themselves and their livelihood. But as time went on, the truth started coming out and things were about to get even worse for the Jews. Now enter Julius Stryker, a rabid anti-Jew hater, who worked for the Reich Ministry. He said on September 17, 1936, that Jews who were convicted for having relations with Aryan women were not being punished severely enough. He wanted them executed. But that was as nothing compared to what he said the day before. As reported in the New York Times, Stryker declared that, in the end, the only real way to rid the world of the Jewish menace was by eliminating them. Literally, he used the word exterminate. He went on to say that some believed this problem could be solved without bloodshed, but since the Jews had always used their power and influence and did not hesitate to kill those who opposed them, that it only made sense to kill them before they eliminated anyone brave enough i.e. the Nazi party, to stand up to them. And he didn't mean just the Jews within Germany, but the entire world. Quote, If a final solution was to be reached, one must go down the bloody path. Unquote. But even without this extreme declaration, the world already had visceral proof what the Jews were up against. Throughout the world, Almost in every major city, Jewish refugees were arriving by boat, train, and plane. At least 125,000 had fled Germany so far, and the world was responding with care as best it could, while still dealing with its own financial problems. Holland had taken in at least 5,000, Czechoslovakia another 5,000, Poland 30,000, France, another 30,000, and 37,000 went to the United States. The League of Nations did what it could. James C. MacDonald was made High Commissioner for German refugees, but he soon resigned in disgust with the statement that the world was now a place divided by who would and who would not allow Jews to remain. Of course, life was much different for Thomas Watson of IBM. He had recently been chosen as the head of the Foreign Department of the American Chamber of Commerce, which itself was a part of the International Chamber of Commerce. This position basically made him the U.S. business representative to the world. So, now in charge of the 8th Biennial Congress of the International Chamber of Commerce, held in Paris in June 1935, Watson parlayed this position to become closer to Secretary of State Cordell Hull. During the Congress, the traditional issues, international debts, currency depreciation, and patents, along with other subjects, were discussed, but not the most pressing problem, 
at least financially, for many governments. The issue of refugees fleeing from Nazi Germany. But going one step further, for representatives of Nazi Germany were there, Watson encouraged a business-as-usual attitude towards the Nazi state. And what was his reward for guiding the Congress to talk of peace through international business? Thomas Watson was chosen to head the International Chamber of Commerce and would receive the position at the next Congress to be held in June of 1937. As the next leader, Watson would choose the location for the gathering. Quote, we are going to Berlin, unquote, because as businessmen, quote, we are free from those particular antagonisms which strong political feelings have caused so much to break nations apart. Unquote. But as anyone who has studied history knows, at times like these, words matter little. Actions matter, above all. And even before 1936 was over, Watson knew war was coming. Dehamag had already been approached by Nazi officials, asking what measures were being taken to protect Holler technology in case of war. Dehamag drew up plans for two massive bomb shelters large enough to protect a majority of their workers and their tabulating machines. Watson approved the plans, and construction began. This news, of course, was not released to the public in Germany or the United States. But if Watson had shocked the world with his choice of location for the next meeting, Hitler had his own surprise for Watson when he came to Germany for the ICC Congress. To thank the head of IBM for not only helping Germany modernize itself to fight the world economic blockade and in locating the enemies of the state, the Fuhrer would, with his own hands, award the American the highest honor possible for a non-German. And this medal was created specifically for Watson, the Merit Cross of the German Eagle with Star. Greetings from Central Virginia members. Um, just to let you know, yes, this is the second one that was supposed to be in December. Uh, sorry about that. I just got my computer out of the shop. Um, it's been in there for more than a week. I just got it back two hours ago, recorded this, and put it out. So there will still be two new episodes in January. And again, I'm really sorry. Not exactly what I had planned, but we're back on track now, now that I've got my computer. And uh, we'll be getting the other issues out, as well as the regular episodes, uh, just as soon as I can. So I hope 2014 is a great year for everyone.